Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just you forgot to enter. Hi, I'm Andy Rosenblatt from Mass from Massachusetts, and this is my golden hour. Drew, what's up, baby? How we doing, Connie? Drew! You can hear me everything? Yeah, this is Sarah Slugs. One sec. She's the Hello, one of the producers for the shows. Thanks for having me. Dude, Thanks you look incredible, man. I haven't seen you in so long. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. The sound yeah. pandemic's taking a hit on my hairline, dude. You can tell, huh? Yeah, bro. I was taking a hit beforehand, man. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Come on, guys. Bro, I'm tucking way back myself. <laughs> it's just how time works. Well, is your dad fully bald? I I feel like he always had a little bit of no, hair. No, he's right? got the uh, he's got like that half door. Yeah. Hey, Slugs, do you want to just introduce yourself to Andy real quick? Yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah Slugs. Um, I'm one of the producers. Uh, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> you too. So, so uh, real quick, I got to like eleven fifty. Just so oh, you know. you're all business, Drew. I'm all business, dude. Like eleven fifty-five, eleven fifty. I, I hear you. I gotta go to Northeastern. Well, so quick curveball. Slugs is actually a co-op from Northeastern. Okay. And so is Hannah still there? Yeah, this is her last year. Damn, so she really oh, got shafted in her happening. last year. Yeah, she did. So can you just give a quick synopsis? So we'll just get straight to biz here. Can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and like what's going on with you right now? And for, and for reference, yeah. for anybody that tunes in or listens, Andy and I are childhood friends. We grew up together in Lincoln, and this is my ultimate and absolute guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I do medical research at a local hospital. Um, and obviously, being in the medical system, you can you kind of you see the stuff coming before, uh, before like the general public. So when this uh, coronavirus stuff was sort of coming up, uh, my dad, who also works at the hospital, uh, had noticed that there's going to be a huge shortage of these, uh, these masks, basically, uh, protective masks, PPE, basically is what they call them. Um, PPE? PPE, personal protective equipment. Um, yeah. So these, these masks obviously are so important because they, they flatten the curve, basically, is, is what we're talking about. They prevent the spread of the disease. Um, so if you have a patient who's sick, you put a mask on them, covers them, they can't cough on the, on the uh, doctors. The doctors don't get sick. That way, more doctors can attend to more patients, right? It's really that simple. Um, and then on top of that, if we're going to, if we're going to slow down the spread of the disease, we're going to keep our hospitals at lower capacities, right? So we're not running them over capacity, and that would mean our surgeons are not going to be forced. Our surgeons and doctors are not going to be forced to choose which people to save. So basically, short term, we'd like to provide masks so that these people can stay healthy long-term. We're just trying to save lives. So initially your dad came home and was like, dude, there's a, a terrible wave coming and we do not have the equipment to protect our healthcare right. workers. Correct. Yeah. So that's sort of, that's where the story begins. Uh, like I got home last Wednesday and I sort of prepare for this whole quarantine thing. Right. Um, my dad comes home from work and that's when he sort of told us uh, that so they just to sort of contextualize this, he uh, he's he does a lot with the the disaster preparedness and the uh, basically the uh, just preparedness for uh, preparing the hospital for this coronavirus. Um, so he came home and told us 
they're probably about at minimum as of last Wednesday, three to four weeks from the peak of coronavirus in Massachusetts. And at the same time, they were about a week or so from running out of PPE. And that was oh. after they changed the PPE guidelines. So was he freaking out? Before, he must be, was he just like, Oh, oh he was God. freaking out. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, you, you know, he, uh, he, he was kind of freaking out. Yeah. So they, they changed the guidelines. The CDC center for disease control changed the guidelines. Uh, initially they wanted everybody treating somebody. I, I know you talked about this the other day. Uh, they wanted everybody treating a coronavirus patient to be treating them with an N95 mask. That's just com- that's become completely unrealistic. We just don't have those masks. So we were the whole idea is that we're making these masks so that doctors and nurses who are not treating coronavirus patients can wear these, right? And then the doctors and nurses that need those N95 masks can wear those when treating the coronavirus patients. So yeah. We're, so we're just you notice there is a need. need to go. You notice right. there is a need. We need more masks. So how does it? how did you get the charity just booming off rip? Cause like people start yeah, up these that, like GoFundMe's all the time or like Kickstarters and they just like glaze through a Facebook feed. But how did, were you guys just like, yeah. let's just send it. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, we got lucky with there's a million people sitting at home looking at Facebook these days, a bunch of people just sit at home looking at their computers. They don't have work to go to. Right. Uh, so we contacted Wednesday night after my dad got home, told us about this whole PPE thing. Uh, the PPE shortage, uh, I got in contact with a reporter from the Burlington Patch, just had him write something just saying, we need, we, we literally asked for three volunteers to sew for us. We woke up the next morning, uh, we had 3,000 people that had uh, volunteered. Wow. Uh, as far as, yeah, as far as California, we had people from Canada. So there's clearly national, international interest in efforts like this. Um, yeah, but 3,000 people, it's hard to organize 3,000 people, especially when you had initially planned on three, right? Um, so after we realized this was going to be pretty complicated and not going to be something... What, that- what was your reaction as soon as you saw that? Were you like, whoa? <laughs> I was like, fuck. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of work, dude. <laughs> yeah, anyway, anyway. Uh, so we get these 3,000 people, and basically what we did was we just sort of broke them down into their region, right? We have a bunch of people from Lincoln, where I'm from, a bunch of people from Burlington, where I work, uh, and all the towns in between, right? So uh, all these people, we had them organize, we basically put one person in charge of each town, so we can coordinate with that one person, and then they'll just coordinate their whole town, which is sort of like the the model that people... Um, are looking at from just for as an example burlington vermont the uvm medical center there they saw the way we were doing things down here and they got in contact with us about helping them set something up up there which wow is only possible if like i'm not solely dealing with three thousand people right it's you got to sort of break all this stuff down and so can you just elaborate on how the charity works and what you guys are actually doing because i think right now people know that okay people needed masks so what did you guys actually do okay so step one we put out the call for people who just know who knew how to sew right um the idea actually came from deaconess i'm going to say in evansville in illinois the first people to do this uh there was a hospital there that noticed the need first they put out a template on how to build masks and what materials they would like the masks to be built with. Um, so we took that template to a local resident, had them build both an instruction manual uh, and a couple of just 
test masks for us. Um, and those instruction manuals were doled out to people to just continue building all the masks. Uh, yeah. And where did you get the initial material from? Okay, so the initial material. Yo, Drew, how am I at asking questions? Do I do a good job? You're doing good. You're doing good. You're following up well. <laughs> You're my guy, so, man. You're my uh, guy. The initial material we actually got in contact. I can't remember how, but uh, Joanne Fabrics has been like, like we wouldn't be able to do this without them. The so plug. First thing that, the plug, Joanne. Yeah. So Joanne hooked it up. They let us come in when they weren't even uh, open. The CEO is involved. Uh, he basically opened the store up for us. Everything was like 50% off the first time we went in. And every time we've gone in since, it's all free. So uh, materials are being provided for by Joanne Fabric, for one. Uh, Levi's has provided a bunch of uh, denim for us. And then uh, Calvin Klein is providing uh, elastic, which is elastic is, is one of the tougher things to find. So uh, very grateful that Calvin Klein is donating that. You guys got that clout. <laughs> yeah, we got that clout, right? <laughs> got that Calvin Klein clout. Yeah, so, so you guys are grabbing the resources, you're allocating the resources, and then you're sending them to certain sites for volunteers to actually construct the masks. Yeah. So I think the easy way to think about of it is we're, we're operating as the middleman between uh, the people who can sew and the hospitals, right? We're just getting these people materials and getting those materials. Once they're finished, produced into the PPE, we're getting them to the hospitals. And how are you doing that specifically? You're like contacting couriers to be like, hey, go pick up 150 masks over here and bring it to Mass General. Right. Yeah. And we like with the with the travel ban in place, like not essential travel, we uh, we're also in coordination. The Lincoln police um, have they're, they're going to like allow us to deliver all this stuff and uh, pick up all the masks and whatnot. Uh, what so an operation, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So how many have you made thus far or um, so, so I think there's been a thousand to twelve hundred that were made in the first batch, which was at the beginning of this week. Um, but that like really was just the very start of things. Um, I can't remember how much material was used to make all those masks, but I know that we have uh, at least 10 times the material we had then. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to 10 times the capacity, right? So 10 times the mask, that's the hope. Well, question. So these are these like homemade masks. Are they effective in, in combating the virus? Right, that's a good question. So. Actually, when I'm done with this, I'm headed to Northeastern. We're gonna bring them a bunch of different materials and they actually have like one of, some. this lady reached out to us. She's one of the world's foremost experts in testing fabric porosity. So we're gonna see basically if like a, if a doctor coughs, if how porous the masks are, like how much materials we're gonna get through. Like I, I know you're talking to that guy yesterday, the doctor yesterday said 95% of uh, particles are stopped by the N95 mask. We want to know what percentage of materials are stopped by our masks. Dude, what if you guys come up with some like revolutionary model and, and then you just make <laughs> you a gazillion after this? You never know. Slugs, any haymaking questions, man? Yeah. So I know that you said your father is involved in the medical field and so are you. So how has this charity come full circle for your family? Oh, it's that's actually like... And, like the perfect question because uh, my whole family got their start in medicine, the, the Rosenblatt side at least got the start in medicine uh, during the flu pandemic in 1918. Um, my, that was when my, I believe it was my great grandfather 
and his brother got into um, medicine for the first time. So that was that was a start. If you go into my dad's office, he has a letter from um, a letter from his uncle to his his father, just detailing all these things about the flu pandemic back in 1918. So if if you're gonna like that, that's sort of his start in medicine. You can imagine he has been very involved in um, the planning for this, the response to this, the crisis response, whatnot. Uh, this is this is I wouldn't say this is what he lives for because that's a pretty screwed up thing to say, but he's he's ready for it. I'd, I'd like to say that the great Archibald Rosenblatt in 1918. Yeah, the one and <laughs> well, only. <laughs> well, dude, there's something I've talked to like maybe ten doctors in the past week. And there's just something very morbid about doctors being totally fascinated by a time like this because it's like it's right. it's chaos in their industry and it's like new and it's like, dude, how do we handle this? How do we come up with a solution for everything that's going on? Yeah, I think they're just all excited. This is going to expose all the cracks in the uh, in like the healthcare system. Hopefully, make their job a little easier in the future. I think one of the one of the things between like us and Italy uh, that is pretty 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 scary is uh italy actually has more beds per hundred thousand people more hospital beds per hundred thousand people than america does so their hospital system presumably should have been more prepared for handling the influx of patients granted they they saw a much steeper uh rise in coronavirus cases in, in hospitalizations but and they the were more time, centrally located though too they are all in the same spot right, right they got it first and all that so at, at the same time we the beds, the capacity of beds that we have in America is, it's, it's not ideal, especially for this. And so in, in your experience in volunteering and working at the hospital, um, did, did you anticipate the fact that the healthcare system wasn't necessarily prone to take on something like this? Or is it just like news to you when all this stuff start popping? So I do, uh, I do cancer detection device research. So that's like, I'm pretty separate from the like the actual day-to-day side of the dealing with patients and whatnot. So it wasn't something I saw coming, um, but that that doesn't say much. But you had a, you have a sense like, I mean, dude, I, this is all totally new to me. I'm like, damn, I thought we had like the best hospitals in the world and we do, but why wasn't, why was there no plan for this? Yeah. Anyway, I'm not a policy guy. I'm just like freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I know I don't want to get too political or anything, but I know that I think it was two years ago or so, it, we cut the, the guy who was ahead of like the pandemic planning for CDC, um, which is so important because you saw how like fragmented the response was to this. We have states doing their own thing, countries doing their own thing. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't understand that the supply chain from China was going to be broken when they cut their whole, when they shut down the whole company, or when they shut down the whole country rather. Uh, so we didn't know that we weren't going to be getting all these PPE that it's all produced in China. Most of it's produced in China, right? We didn't know we were going to, not going to be getting that. So we didn't react in time. If we were more coordinated, who knows, right? Now, what is your, how has your operation at the hospital changed given that everyone's like freaking out about germs? Are you like have to show up there in a hazmat suit, especially right, with cancer I, patients? So I was told, right. I was told just, I, I, I can do my work from home stay at home. So I, I haven't been to work for about uh, about a week and a half now. Um, so I, I basically, all my work's done on a hard drive. So that's simple enough for me. But um, yeah, the hospital, I know for a fact, the hospital is on lockdown. You can't get in and out uh, without your hospital identification badge. 
Um, so no visitors or anything for patients and whatnot. Dude, how about and me showing up to? Oh, go ahead, slugs. I was gonna say, are your bosses just, or is your boss just like okay with you doing this charity and just being at home, being like, you know what, I'm gonna well, spend a lot of the time with this. <laughs> I think like even if he wanted me to focus on the other stuff, uh, it would make his job harder if I were to focus on the other stuff because more people were going to get sick, right? If we don't do this, people are going to get sick. He's going to have to work harder. He might get sick. Um, so it's just, it, it's it's kind of, it, it's what has to be done right now, right? The other stuff can wait. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, so I when I was at Best Buy yesterday, when I called you, it was literally like the McDonald's drive through Slugs, did I tell you about this? Nuts. I thought you were going through the yeah. uh, coronavirus testing thing. Dude, it was insane. The up, like, show me an ID. It was, it was literally crazy. I was like, what is going on here, man? Have you seen any crazy stuff crazy. yet, Drew? Like, out? No, no looting yet. I'm, I'm waiting for the looting now. We'll see. Yeah, looting Donalds. <laughs> <laughs> looting Donalds, dude. That's, that's how you get your money back, right? Yeah, d- d- <laughs> I shouldn't say that the police probably watching. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly. Slugs, you got anything else in the holster, man? Yeah, so how do people donate or volunteer? Yeah, so we have a, uh, a Facebook page called Masks for Massachusetts. Uh, you can go there. There's a bunch of people in there. Please don't ask us personal. Like pe- people are asking, like, "Hey, can ha- can I come deliver two masks to you guys?" We're coordinating like a giant effort here. Just please, let's coordinate the whole effort, right? Um, but if you want to help there, just go there. You'll post your information, right? Um, and I mean, your your town at least, and we'll we'll coordinate that from there, right? We'll we'll get you in touch with your town coordinator, and you can help from there. Um, now the whole idea, like, we're not only helping the hospital I work at. Um, like I said, we're helping, I told you about uh, up in Burlington, Vermont, we're helping a hospital up there. They're Lowell, we've been in touch with them um, and a number of other hospitals, Emerson I know is involved. Um, so if you can't, if you're not in Burlington, Massachusetts, if, you, if you're not near the hospital that I'm, I'm working for, if you're not near Emerson, if you're not in Burlington, Vermont, you can, you can still get one of these done yourself. Just organize, organize as you're, uh, organize as like a community organizer, get a bunch of people involved. You can get the hospital involved. There's instructions online. We'll have, uh, we'll have the results of these porosity tests soon. So you can know what materials are the safest to use. Um, this can be done, but this isn't something that we, uh, we're hoping to do on behalf of America in every community, right? We just want to get the template out there so that people can do it, so that this, this effort can spread uh, and that we hopefully won't have a PPE shortage in the future. Well, so quick question. Um, are these gonna be scattered across like all Boston hospitals exclusively? What if someone in Connecticut's like, yo, we need a 500 masks down there. Do you guys have the means, the resources and the distribution to get some masks down there and, and for the rest of the country? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I think the whole idea is it would be tough for us, right, to make a bunch of masks up here and deliver them down there, especially with the travel restrictions. Although it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be restricted with travel. Um, that's some I, of your Trinity think, friends, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Like we, the whole idea is have local efforts fund local hospitals, have local efforts build these masks for local hospitals, right? Um, every all communities across America have the means to do this, right? Um, and they'd have the need to do this as well. So uh, it's, it's an effort that, it's, a, it's really a simple template. Um, 
the the difficult thing is is getting materials um and i mean the coordinating of volunteers is pretty pretty easy uh at least recruiting is pretty easy um so i i just think like efforts like this can be done nationwide and they, they can save hundreds of thousands of lives right Dude, you actually get the Rosenblatt family crest on all the masks, like right in the front. <laughs> the huge, e- huge ego trip. I love hey, it. Dude, we hey, got Calvin Klein on some of the masks. Well, yeah. So, how did you guys get in contact with them? Oh, I, I have no idea about Calvin Klein, um, but I think the one of the one of the doctors at the hospital, I think, is married to the CEO Joanne Fabrics. So that's how that connection was made, um, and then. Actually, you know what? Calvin Klein might have reached out to us because I know Levi's reached out to us um, when they'd seen the the, uh, the article as well. And then there was, I, I'm not sure whatever happened with it, but there was, there, like all types of people were reaching out. We had a guy who owned the textile company. So literally a guy whose job was materials, was fabric, reach out to try to help. So, I mean, people, it's really bringing the, bringing the community together. People are being very, very helpful. Um, yeah, I just got to say thank you to everybody who has contributed or, or helped at all. And, and in trying to in trying to scale this, what do you guys need more of right now? Um, that's a good question. Um, like well, if you could, be honest, if you have one like retail plug, would that be huge for you? That just has like tons of cloth and garment. Right. So we we kind of have our retail plug, although I don't want to like put too much on them. I don't want to like make make them our our like like just you know put all our weight on these guys. But um, Joanne Fabrics. They've been very helpful in the Boston area, at least. Um, I know, so, so the thing is about like efforts like this is like, if you put out the, the call for action and say like, oh, we, we need these materials to help save lives. There's not gonna be a lot of people that ignore that, right? If they have the means to, to give these materials, contribute these materials, they're, they're pretty forthcoming with them. Um, that's what we found at least. So, uh, although that's the hardest part, acquiring the materials i think that um people will help you with that slugs any final questions because drew's got to run soon no i think that's it all right thanks for having me guys hold on andy that's not how we end the episode dude okay (laughs) listen ma'am one thank you for doing this you have fun yeah okay great 100% 100% dude. Hopefully I can see you soon when all this blows over. You got to come to our studio. Yeah, You're in Cambridge now? You're in the Museum of Science? Yeah. Over in Cambridge. Yeah, our, Where are you at? Our, well, our studio is like eight minutes from there. So I'll line up an episode with someone in like the medical field and I'll invite you to it. Love it. I'll be by. Sweet. And Paige can come too. Oh, of course, of course. I'll throw some deodorant on first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so one one shout out to L Town. Shout out to Lincoln. That's a two five nine baby boy. You already ready to know the deal. Hi, uh, I'm Andy <laughs> Rosenblatt from Mass from Massachusetts, and that was my golden hour. <laughs>